Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Hey, if you guys are liking what you're hearing on Collider, you're going to love Off the Vine with Caitlin Bristow on Podcast One. Apparently, two days a week, it just wasn't enough. Join the Bachelorette as she pours you a third glass of wine every week with her new Q&A episodes every Friday. Download Off the Vine with Caitlin Bristow every Tuesday, Thursday, and now Friday on Podcast One. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Happy Saturday morning. It is Collider Mailbag time. I am your host, John Roca, and without any wait, I have to introduce my co-host for this episode, my man, Scott Mance, the movie man. Johnny Roca, it is so great to be here doing Mailbag with you. I love when we work together, yes. whether we're doing the schmoodown, <laughs> you know, maybe one of these days we'll do Mance versus Roca 3, but right Come now, on. It's, it's Johnny and Scott talking about just what you want to talk about. Yeah, and it's always great to have you on the show, bro. I always love your energy. 
energy working with you, whether it's on a movie review talk, whether it's on movie talk, whether it's on uh, Schmodan or this. It's always a blast. I'm and so wait, happy. Don't forget the cinephiles. Oh, and the cinephiles. Steve Morris. That's right. Big <laughs> shout out podcast. to Steve Morris and the cinephiles. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, you know, well, uh, Scott, today on Mailbag, we answer questions from the fans. Uh, I, I've been really enjoying the reaction from the fans to me bringing in all this new blood into Mailbag, and it's been a lot of fun. I had to had to get you on here, so I'm glad you had time well, this morning. Well, thanks for having me. It's always great. And love to talk to the fans. You know, I was at South by Southwest mm. last week, and a lot of Collider fans came up to me and said how much they loved, uh, you know, Collider FYC yeah. and the review talk and, of course, all the other things I do with their, all my friends here at Collider. So thanks for having me. Definitely. Let's get right to yeah, it. Yeah, let's get to it. You know, you <laughs> submit your questions. When we put the call-outs on social media, on Twitter or on Instagram, put that hashtag Collider Mailbag makes it easy for me to find. You can also email us, mailbag at Collider.com, whenever you're in the mood, 3 a.m., 4 in the afternoon. Hey, you just got done at the dentist's office. Something occurred to you while you were under sedation. You want to, <laughs> you want to send an email asking a movie or entertainment question. Send it in. All right, there we go. So let's jump into it. Our first one is an email from Carter Anderson. He asks, hey, Collider and Outlaw, thank you. Simple question. <laughs> what was the best year in film? Maybe not your favorite year in film, but year that produced the most quality content. Thank you for always, thank you for the always content and stay sweaty. Scotty. Oh, well, listen, I am so glad that that question came up because mm-hmm. without question, at least in my lifetime, there is one year that stands out as the best year in modern movie making. And that year, I know a lot of people think I'm going to say 1982 because mm-hmm. of June of 1982. <laughs> we saw Wrath of Khan, Blade Runner, E.T. But no, 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 it's not 1982. For me, it was the year 1999. Ooh, 99, okay. 99, and for a couple of reasons. First of all, 1999 was the first year that I started reviewing movies. Ah. I reviewed my very, very first film written in 1999, and that movie was, of all movies, and it was actually a really great movie to do, yeah. Stanley Kubrick's final film, oh. Eyes, Eyes Wide, Wide Shut. Shut. Yeah. But 1999, this is... This is what came out in 1999. First of all, March 31st. We are about to celebrate the 20th anniversary of The Matrix. Oh, yeah. And for for the following generation, for like Generation Y or Generation Z, whatever they call themselves, Mm -hmm. uh, The Matrix was their Star Wars. Because The Matrix took everything that Star Wars did and took it to a whole nother level. Right. And it was also a very uh, existential movie at that, a very influential film. But also in 1999, you had a movie like Election, mm-hmm. Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, on August 6th, you had The Iron Giant. Mm-hmm. You had The Sixth Sense. And then in the fall of 1999, you had American Beauty, which won the Oscar for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. You had Three Kings, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, an underrated uh, certainly underappreciated film, but one of the best, uh, definitely one of the best movies of that year. You had Fight Club being John Malkovich, the insider, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, Magnolia. It was an extraordinary year, and this was the year that I started reviewing movies. Mm-hmm. And it was so great to just see as many movies as I could just to write about them yeah. because all the movies were great. What is your favorite year? Well, you know, and I think, Scott, before we get to that, real quick, 99 seemed 
seemed like the culmination of the independent film movement crossing over into mainstream yeah. to become blockbuster successes and artistic successes yep. mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, and that's uh, you can't argue the effect of those movies going forward to uh, film directors coming afterwards. And, and also, uh, you know, you had uh, like someone like David O. Russell with right. you know Three Kings and and uh, Spike Jones with being John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the year, Entertainment Weekly. You know, did their like you know end of year issue, and the cover of that issue uh, was was pictures of various films from 1999, and it mm-hmm. said 1999, the year that changed movies. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, the momentum that started in 1999, <laughs> you know, it didn't really continue, <laughs> at least uh, not in the uh, in the way that it did in 1999. But right. you know, regardless. All right, for me, I will take 1982 for me because of Blade Runner, because of uh, uh, Fanny and Alexander, a great foreign film that I got into which i didn't know like i just had no concept of foreign films till you heard that i remember renting that eventually <laughs> on vhs and seeing that and going oh this is possible my god uh, of course we talk about wrath of khan mad max road warrior which i had on vhs and absolutely ro- uh, watched to the death to the end mm-hmm. and that laid the groundwork for what mel gibson yes your personal feelings aside mel gibson was one of the big stars in the 80s and sure 90s was. absolutely you got wrath of khan as you said pink floyd the wall rocky three which is one of the Rocky best three. Remember, this is this is what you're asking. You're asking to produce the most quality content. I think that's the best uh, sequel. You got Conan the Barbarian. You've got Tootsie, which script screenwriting classes still teach that script it's nowadays. It's one yep. of the tightest screenplays ever written. You got the Dark Cross. You got the Verdict, which I would argue is in the top three, four performances of Paul Newman's career. Without question, right? absolutely. I wasn't Sidney Lumet. To Newman did that one. Yeah. Oh exactly. my God, the Verdict. I'm glad you brought that up. That mm-hmm. is an excellent, excellent film. One of you're right. One of Paul to Paul Newman is very very best right uh you know of course we you know you talked about blade runner yeah. a movie that by the way talking about blade runner in 2019 like that's when blade runner takes place is in 2019 yeah, right exactly november to be exact right so i'm just gonna call this now <laughs> when november of 2019 hits we're gonna have a big 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 party yes blade yeah. we, we gotta uh, hopefully it'll be screening somewhere massive and we'll be able to enjoy it and maybe even do a little cosplay which i never do but it would be fun <laughs> to do for that as deckard all right well that's that's our first question let's move that's on to our next question, question. yeah I like that, too. There's, and there's a lot in other years. Of, of course, people always cite 94. But I think 94 is top-heavy, not necessarily huge movie-heavy. Right? All year long. Yeah, right. all year 94 long. is a top-heavy year. But, you know, in, in 82, 82 and 99 were, were years where you had quality movies mm-hmm. coming out all year long. Yeah, all year long. Uh, all right, let's move on. Email is from EJ Wilson. He asks, hey, from the U.K., I'm heading to Star Wars Celebration in April and have never been to a convention before. Do you have any survival tips for how to deal with large crowds, find food, and generally make the most of the experience. Thanks. You guys are awesome. All right, Scott, you have been to many conventions. Uh, yeah. You know, between San Diego Comic-Con mm-hmm. and WonderCon and New York Comic-Con, and I went to a couple Star Wars celebrations, and, uh, and of course, I, I, uh, my entire life mm-hmm. growing up in Philadelphia, I went to Star Trek conventions all the time, and I worked for Creation Entertainment for about 10 years. They mm-hmm. run the big Star Trek conventions, and every year they have their big STLV, their big Star Trek convention in Las Vegas. So right. what I will say about, about Star Wars celebration and just conventions in general is this 
figure out what you want to see beforehand. Yeah. Go online, look at the schedule, write down and schedule whether it's on your phone or write it down, whatever you want to do, whatever floats your boat these days. Figure out what you want to see in advance, the things that you do not want to miss. Mm-hmm. Write those down at like immediately so you're not overwhelmed and consumed by everything that's going on. There are a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is if there is a panel that you want to get into that you really, 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 really want to get into, get in line super early. Yeah. The other thing in terms of like actual survival tips <laughs> is have a bottle of water at all times. Bring a bunch of protein bars mm-hmm. or something that you could eat and nosh on throughout the day because nothing is worse than waiting in line or sitting in on a panel and getting hungry. Yeah. It is the worst feeling. I don't care how excited you are to watch a certain panel. You could be watching the panel for Avengers Endgame with everyone up on that stage. Mm-hmm. If you're hungry, you're not going to enjoy yourself. <laughs> uh, the other thing right. is, I mean, you know, because uh, you, you do get exhausted sometimes and kind of that uh, I've had situations where I've gotten a headache at these things. Yeah. You know, bring Advil with you, bring Tylenol with you, some kind of uh, ibuprofen, whatever it is, just in case you get hit with a headache or fatigue of some kind. It does kind of perk you up. Yeah. That, those are my big survival tips. Yeah, those are all great survival tips and absolute ones I've used as I've learned going to conventions and getting into situations where you're like, oh, all that's left is carbs or cookies that I can buy. And <laughs> yeah. that does not help your body mm-hmm. to process and function and have energy to make it through a whole day of panels. That's for sure. I think comfortable shoes is really important. Oh, sure. Clothes that are not too tight that make you feel a little relaxed. Because trust me, you're going to eat and you're going to feel a little heavier as you move through the day. And that could affect your body. Plus, going to the bathroom. There are long lines going to the bathroom, all those kinds of things. You really got to map out your day and it's later down the road that you could be a little more flowing and organic about it. And yeah, if you get to it, you get to it. If not, it's about the experience. But if you're going for the first time, you want to savor as much as possible. So create space, go to sleep early, get enough sleep so you can function. You know your body. You can go to parties, but understand that the if you go drinking, you're going to pay for it the next day. Absolutely. That's for sure. And you might miss something you really want to see. So there are sacrifices that have to be made so you can get the ultimate joy out of the situation. Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. Always just, again, that goes back to to the very top just mm-hmm. like, look at the schedule look at the things you really really want to do and just focus on those things yeah. and and don't worry about fomo you know fear of missing out right. it happens anyway it There's happens. nothing worse than fomo yeah. especially if it's a panel that you want to go to that you can't go to because you're too tired or you go to because you're out of it uh you know really just focus on what you want to see and do exactly and the, the time will come around possibly you can see that again. i tried to see shatner for three years and it wasn't until the fourth year that I finally got in because it worked out for me to get in there and see him. So sometimes you just have to wait. The FOMO thing will happen. Just get past it and move on to the other thing. Correct. And save time for the floor. It's really important. You have no idea how long you're going to be Uh, on the floor. So save time for the floor. Three, four hours to walk around and really savor everything they've got there and to enjoy because you just have no idea how long you're going to be on there. True. Uh, All right, let's move on to our next question. It's another email. It's from Jay Scotty St. Clair. He asks, should Rebecca Ferguson's Ilsa Faust character take over as the lead of the Mission Impossible franchise over the next two films, or would you rather they introduce fresh faces and new blood 
to the film series. Uh, let me go first on this one, yeah. Scotty. Mm-hmm. I love Rebecca Ferguson. I loved her character, Real So Faust. I feel like the last Mission Impossible movie didn't do her as much justice as the Mission Impossible movie that introduced her. Right. Yeah, Rogue Nation. And I thought she was she's a fantastic actress, strong character. I could see this happening. I don't know, though, if she has the name recognition around the world, like Tom Cruise has, to carry on the legacy of Mission Impossible. Would I love to see it? Absolutely. But I don't know if I translate to like you know two hundred million dollar opening or one hundred fifty million dollar opening that they like to have for these Mission Impossible franchises or franchise films. And also, this other concept is replacing characters. Didn't they try that with Born Legacy and Jeremy Renner? It didn't quite work out as strongly as they would like. Mission Impossible lends itself to that possibility. I just you just have to go with a little stronger star power. Interesting, you brought up Jeremy Renner because mm-hmm. remember when oh, right. Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Ghost Protocol. came out in two thousand eleven and. Uh, Jeremy Renner's character was a featured new character, mm-hmm. and everyone thought at that time that Jeremy Renner was going to replace yeah. Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible movies going forward. And of course, Tom Cruise like was like, "Uh-uh, these are my <laughs> movies." So, so this, what I love about this question is, yeah. I love the character of Rebecca uh, Rebecca mm-hmm. Ferguson's mm-hmm. character in these last two films. I do agree with you; she had much more to do. She was more of a mysterious femme yeah. fatale. Mm-hmm. You did not know whose side she was on in Rogue Nation, which of the six mission movies, I still feel like now that I've seen them all Mm -hmm. a bunch of times, including the the most recent one, Fallout, I think Rogue Nation is actually the best one. It has the best story with the action scenes to boot. The action scenes in Fallout were were the best of the bunch, but I felt like Rogue Nation had the best story to go along with it, and again, the Rebecca Ferguson character. So would I like to see her replace Tom Cruise in, like, Mission going forward? Yeah. No. Uh, I think that just like Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, Tom Cruise is Ethan Hunt. Mm -hmm. He's been doing these movies since 1996, 23 years ago, and he kind of looks exactly the same. (laughs) Um, But he is constantly pushed himself with these stunts. And like that helicopter chase at the end of Fallout was fantastic. And, uh, you know, uh, hanging on the side of the airplane of Rogue Nation, climbing the top of that building in Mm -hmm. Ghost Protocol. These movies are great. They keep getting better, or at least Fallout matched, uh, matched Rogue Nation. And the great news is that Christopher McQuarrie mm-hmm. is going to direct not just the next movie, but the next two mission films right. that they're going to film at once at the same time. And Christopher McQuarrie, Tom Cruise make a great team. Christopher McQuarrie did direct the best two mission films. So rather than have Rebecca Ferguson replace Tom Cruise, what I would rather see happen mm-hmm. so that you can really get into the character and develop that character is do a spin-off. Oh, that's a great idea. Like Hobbs and Shaw, do that with her. Right, and just like finally we're going to see a Black Widow movie starring Scarlett Johansson after she's done (laughs) so many of these MCU movies. Let's see Rebecca Ferguson start in her own action series. I would love to see that. What do you think? Let us know in the comments below. Tweet me at Movie Mance. Tweet this guy at The Roca Says. You know, and uh, let's get that hashtag going. I I like that idea. (laughs) I I would be down for a spinoff focusing on her because then you could do a lower budget, but work on story and a stronger story. Absolutely. That'll get people in uh, in theater to enjoy that. And she could develop her own team, which would be very interesting See? as well. 
absolutely. Yep. That's a great yep. idea. Are yep. you listening, Christopher <laughs> McQuarrie? Go. And then you bring her back for the second of the McQuarrie films and have those teams, her team and Tom Cruise's teams, come team, come together as two teams, and then they go after even a, an even bigger fish would be awesome. See, what we're proposing here, and this is actually a great idea, the more we t- talk about it, the more I think about it, yeah. is a Mission Impossible cinematic universe. There you go. M-I-C-U. M-I-C-U. Oh, boy, That's I love it. Hashtag. That's great. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next question. It's uh, uh, on Instagram from Al uh, Meldon, Ali, underscore Ali, writes, uh, Collider Mailbag, if you have to greenlight only one, which would you choose? Between a Steven Spielberg-directed Superman movie or a Martin Scorsese-directed Batman movie. Ooh. Uh, uh, I'm going to say, you go first on this one, buddy boy. <laughs> I had a feeling that Mass is going to choose one side, so I chose the other. I might be wrong, but I chose the other, and that's Martin Scorsese-directed you Batman movie. the other. <laughs> yeah, okay. I had a feeling. I had a feeling, and that's why we work so well together. We are the Batman versus Superman of the mailbag. But this is what I tell Like, for me, I enjoy the darkness of the Batman character so much. I love that he's a detective. I love that he has, like, um, stuff that he has to work out some questionable morality that comes into some of the decisions he makes as Batman trying to get these criminals. How far is too far? How much is too much? Am I being as violent as the criminals I'm going after? And I think Scorsese, throughout his early career, explored that in films like Raging Bull and Taxi Driver and a number of other where these guys have to conf- confront their uh, their fame and their success and what they're trying to do, but also these this drive and this desire, and Goodfellas as well, this drive and this desire of of, of trying to uh, overcome their own uh, questions of morality when it pops up for them. And I think that's where you can see it. I know he's producing the the, uh, the Batman movie with the Top Phillips, or the Joker movie that Top Phillips is doing. I would love to see his version of Batman. I think it would have the right amount of darkness and a great story and great script to go along with it. Can you imagine Martin Scorsese doing a Batman film in the style of Goodfellas or Casino? Oh, right. With, with Bruce Wayne narrating, narrating the film like like uh, Ray Liotta's Henry Hill did in Goodfellas. I, I love that idea. Yeah. The reason, I, I mean, this is like, what do you choose? It's like uh, six and one half dozen. Yeah. They're trying yeah. to pick your favorite child because Spielberg and Scorsese are two of my favorite directors of all time. The reason why I didn't go with Batman on mm-hmm. this one is because the darkness of Batman has been explored a couple of times okay. now. Obviously, the Christopher Nolan films are the mm-hmm. uh, piece de resistance, the masterpiece trilogy. I even love The Dark Knight Rises. I think it's an underrated movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with that. But it, the darkness of him has been explored. What Scorsese would do with that would be more stylized. Yes. And I'm, I'm all for that. But the reason why, okay, yes, uh, we are uh, definitely picking <laughs> opposites here. But yeah. I had a feeling you were going to go with uh, Batman. <laughs> so I chose, not just because you went with Batman, but I really do think that I would rather see a Superman movie directed by Steven Spielberg. And here is why. I know there are a lot of Collider fans who love Man of Steel. Mm. I didn't love Man of Steel. I thought it was too dark. I thought that as a producer, I thought Christopher Nolan tried to do for Superman what he did with Batman. But you can't really do that with Superman because they're both completely different people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Superman is a superhero 
Batman really is not. Mm -hmm. Batman does not have superpowers. He's a sociopath with a lot of money. He's like a very dark version of Tony Stark Mm -hmm. is what he is. Superman is an alien from another planet who could fly. There should have been more fun with Man of Steel, and I thought it just was a little too serious. It took itself too seriously. When I think of Superman, I think of Richard Donner's Mm -hmm. Superman from 1978. It is still the gold standard of superhero movies because there's magic to it. There's a sense of wonder to it. There's an awe-inspiring quality to it, and, and, and... and what Donner did, well, actually, what Christopher Reed did with those, with that, with the first two movies, Superman and Superman Two, anyway, mm-hmm. like the, he was playing two people. He was playing Superman and he was playing Clark Kent, and uh, he was great in both of them. Yeah. And what I feel like Superman, uh, what Steven Spielberg would bring back to Superman is that magic. Yeah. Like I know everyone loves the darker superhero movies, especially in the DC universe, especially with the Dark Knight. Uh, you know, we've we've gotten a, like a we have a lighter tone mm-hmm. in the MCU and they've been very good at that, but to sort of get back to the magic like that like you will believe a man can fly feeling. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Spielberg especially back in his heyday between 75 and you know uh, uh, eight, 93 with the Jurassic Park, you know he really knew how to instill that magic, mm-hmm. that Spielberg magic, that sense of wonder. And uh, I would love to see him do that with a Superman movie. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but it's a, it's a very slight edge because I would like to see Scorsese <laughs> do Batman. Are you kidding? Well, I'm not going to lie. I, lean, I leaned more towards the Spielberg thing, but I thought, to be fair to the questioner, we should offer both uh, arguments on both sides. So, yeah, uh, uh, I would love to see his, especially because Spielberg, Spielberg, when I studied him in college, I spent a whole semester studying Spielberg. Our professor was very clear that Spielberg has an obsession with the sun. The sun is massive to him in all his movies. The way he ends the bright lights, Empire of the Sun. There's a lot to do with bright lights and the sun for Spielberg. It's about brightness, about showing the levity of the world, the lightness of the world, the good that the world can bring. Who's connected to the sun? Superman gets his source of power from the sun. Scorsese, darker. Why? Batman operates at night, makes all all the sense in the world. Scorsese explores Amazing. the darker underbelly of the human condition, and wouldn't that be interesting as a Batman movie? All right, last last question. Let's move on at Twitter, and thanks to uh, Alameldon underscore Ali for that question. I loved answering that question with Scotty here. All right, Twitter. This is uh, from at John Carl Forey writes: If you were a professor in a film class, what director would you want to teach and analyze their films to your students? If I were a professor, I would teach them the art of Martin Scorsese's and David Fincher's work. Scotty, you as a Film historian, uh, reviewer for 20 years, but a film lover for much longer than that. What My is your answer? Yeah. Well, uh, I, you just said it. You just said it. You went to a course on Steven Spielberg. Yeah. That is who I would pick. Wow, okay. I didn't even know that you went to a course on Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg. Still have the syllabus, 286 pages. That, so did you do that here in L.A.? No, or? it was at Florida State. It was a summer class. I, I, I built myself a minor in film, minor studies in film. Okay. Because it, it doesn't exist at Florida State. I did that at Penn State. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, so I, I mean, I it went wasn't to the official, film. but, you know, I Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I went to the film uh, department, and I said, I want to get a minor in film here because I have to take electives. Mm-hmm. What are the courses that you would, if you were to construct a minor in film, that I would need to take? And I took them all. I was there. And one of those was Spielberg. That class was incredible because oh, it opened my eyes to a filmmaker I already knew and loved, but didn't understand the serious approach to filmmaking that he had until I took that. Well, course. listen, he—I mean, sure. I mean, in the seventies, you had had the great New Hollywood mm-hmm. filmmakers like Scorsese, Hal Ashby, uh, Robert Altman, right. uh, Lucas, and Spielberg, Coppola, yeah. yeah. but. 
Spielberg, like like Coppola, really got off the boat after Apocalypse Now, yeah. if you know what I mean. <laughs> never and uh, you know, I mean, I love what Scorsese's been doing, and yeah. I, I mean, certainly that would be a, a very interesting choice. You know, Stanley Kubrick, another interesting choice, but a, a great choice because his movies are are so layered, mm-hmm. and even after twenty or thirty years of seeing his movies, uh, you know, I still find new things when mm-hmm. I watch them. But the thing with Spielberg is like he really did change the game, not just as a director yeah. of Jaws, of Close Encounters, my number one fave tie with Blade Runner, uh, you know, and, and Raiders and E.T., but also the movies he produced, like mm. Back to the Future and The Goonies. Um, and I feel like if you take into account his movies as a director and as a producer, but, you know, obviously mostly his movies as a director, mm-hmm. and then, you know, just the way he his, uh, his career shifted after Jurassic Park. I mean, 1993... You know, the summer, he broke ground and changed the game in special effects and blockbusters with Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And then five months later, he releases Schindler's List, yeah. you know, which wins Best Picture and Best Director, finally. <laughs> um, you know, that was a, a landmark year. And just, like, I love that Spielberg is still trying. He's yeah. still at it. Still in the He's game. still in the game. He still gets behind the camera and directs movies. I yeah. mean, I think more in more modern times, his movies have been uh, not quite the landmark films as those earlier ones, mm-hmm. but I loved AI, artificial intelligence. Okay. I think it's a very uh, it's a, it's a very uh, uh, flawed masterpiece, but, you know, Minority Report was great. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I, 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 I love that every time Spielberg gets behind the camera, I feel like it's like getting a new Beatles album. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, you know, because I know we love the Beatles. We do. But I feel like there's <laughs> so much to explore. The whole thing you brought up with the sun is just the tip of the iceberg about, uh, you know, how Spielberg has infused certain trademarks in his movies, like the kids come from broken families right. and so on. Because, right. uh, you know, he came from a broken family. But, you know, again, no one does it like Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Many have tried. J.J. Abrams tried with the Super 8, right. uh, which was very much influenced by Close Encounters. But, but Spielberg's the man. Yeah. He is the man. If I could teach a course on any great filmmaker, it would be Spielberg. That's a great choice. Uh, and there's so much to learn in that. Do yourself a favor. Don't just see E.T. or these other films and think, oh, I got it. Really do a deep dive, in, deep dive into Spielberg's films and what influences him. And you'll be very surprised at what comes out. In fact, if you want to do that, you can listen to our Cinephiles episode, which is on iTunes, The Cinephiles. Scott and I and my friend Steve Morris, we broke down Close Encounters of the Third Kind, had a lot of fun. Another Cinephiles episode we did, which I is my first choice of director for who is, uh, uh, is Stanley Kubrick, 2001, A Space Odyssey, which we spent three and a half hours going over and <laughs> oh broken it into two parts of the Cinevals, which was a blast. But Kubrick is the one. For me, Kubrick and Coppola are the top two because these guys swing for the fences like maniacal fools. And being a lover of Orson Welles as much as I am, I felt like these two guys were the guys that really stepped in and took that spot as well with their movies. I think or- Welles would absolutely be this way in the 70s had he been in his prime in the 70s, both as Kubrick and Coppola, he would have you know, mortgaged everything to do yeah. Apocalypse Now yeah. the way Coppola did. And with Kubrick, he would have had the vision to, to understand the quietness of 2001, understand how that's so essential to the film itself to bring up the dread and suspense throughout that movie. I think both of these men make incredibly layered, complex films, as you mentioned, Scott, but also the scripts and the dialogue that is 
all through Apocalypse Now, which is quotable as hell. In fact, when you buy the soundtrack, the CD sound, do CD soundtrack, it's it has there. the dialogue all through it because you mm-hmm. can't enjoy the music, in my opinion, without the dialogue accompanying it to give it even more weight and, and power. And when you look at 2001, the, the, the uh, rare dialogue that occurs in the movie carries even more weight because there isn't that much of it. So it has to say something. And so both of those directors, to me, would be where I'd start teaching people about the magic of film, how hard you can go into film and what you can say about film or what can you say about the world and about human beings through your films i mean look kubrick alone yeah with 2001 that one film alone yep. like you could teach a whole class just on that one mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. i mean i'm surprised that maybe that's that is being done uh you know, maybe you could teach that <laughs> but i love that you brought up apocalypse now because apocalypse now is celebrating its 40th anniversary yep. this year it's going to play uh at the tribeca film festival next month oh wow it's going to be called apocalypse Apocalypse Now, Final Cut. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. It's a, yeah, there's a, there's a Final Cut. It's been restored and remastered and redigitized. It's going to be released in 4K wow. later this year. What? I mean, a lot of big uh, anniversaries this year, but Apocalypse that. Now, 40th anniversary. I cannot wait to see that movie again on the big screen. I already have the, the big box set that came out a couple of years ago. To have it in 4K, 4K. Would, is going to be incredible. All right. Uh, well, and if you haven't picked up 2001 A Space Odyssey in 4K, do so. I finally opened mine up last week and watched it. Sweet Mary, Mother of God, how gorgeous that oh, film is a great in 4K. Film. Yeah, so, yeah, great soundtrack, uh, Carmine Coppola. Exactly. Yep. Well, uh, thanks so much to Scott Mance for taking the time to stop by for Clyde Melbeck. Brother, you know I always love doing things with you. I so always love doing things with you, too. Thank you so much for having me. Always, always a pleasure, Johnny. Thank you, brother. And where can people find you and the stuff you're doing, my man? Well, just uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Movie Mance. And uh, thank you so much, uh, as always. And for everyone who's been asking me about uh, Movie Review Talk, it has gone to that great movie review show in the sky. <laughs> but you will still see me popping up here and there on Collider Video from time to time. So thank you for your support. Hell yeah, and I look forward to the next time Scotty pops up on stuff because it's always a blast. Uh, thanks, everyone, who sent in questions. As I said before, we put the calls out on social media, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Do that hashtag Collider Mailbag so I can find it. And, of course, you can email us as, w- email us as well at mailbag at collider.com. I go through all those to pick out the best questions that I like, send them to my guests. They pick out the five they're most excited about, and we talk about it on the show. And I hope you enjoyed the five we chose for this. I know I did. I hope Scott. I think I Scott sure did, did as well. Absolutely. So, and next time, and you can follow me at the Rogue says on Twitter and on Instagram. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Remember to leave comments there in the comment section about what you thought your answers to the questions are. Remember to subscribe. Remember to like and share this video as well. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow for another episode of Cloudy Mailbag with the man Jeff Snyder. Oh my God. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831 it's that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. 
It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 